message from our lead pastor, Michael Signorelli. Prepare to go C1. Title this sermon, this message this morning, and you can write this in your notes, do what you can't. If someone was like, Pastor Mike, summarize the entire New Testament in one sentence, I would say this. It's God telling humanity it's time to do what you can't. If you're here and you're always saying, I can't do this, I can't do that, but I can't do this, but I can't do this, and you have friends and you're surrounded by people always saying that, guess what the Bible's message to them is? Do what you can't. It's the definition of the gospel. It's the definition of the New Testament. So what is a prodigy? You know, it's a little hard to define, so let's define what a prodigy is not, okay? These are five things that everyone does, the really dumb things that we do that might give you a clue as to how little of a prodigy you, we attack inanimate objects. Am I the only one who's ever like kicked my car, punched a hole in the wall, right? This might be an indicator that you are not a prodigy if you, are, if you attack inanimate objects. Number two, we pick dirt out of our fingernails using another fingernail. You understand you are redistributing the dirt, right? I'm not gonna say who I watch do this to get inspiration for the sermon. Anyways, we're completely mentally prepared for something until we actually have to do it. Am I the only one? You go over it in your head over and over and over and then you show up and you're like, what am I doing? Right? Or you rehearse that, that, that instrument and all of a sudden you forget what you're doing. Here's another one. You walk into a room and completely forget why you're even there. Right? And you walk in with purpose. That's the best part. When you walk in the room, you walk in like, like really like I'm on a mission. And then as soon as you get there, your brain's like mission accomplished. <laughs> no idea what you're doing here. Here's another one. Here's another way you know you're not a prodigy. There are places in your home now that you repeatedly stub your toe. Like it's a spot, right? And it's like an obstacle course that you refuse to do away with. And, and we're just a little stupid sometimes. <laughs> and if you're anything like me, you realize that you have limits and you're not a prodigy. And you probably weren't born with prodigious abilities. But I love the word prodigy. And as we were going through this sermon series and I was asking God, like, what do you have for these people? For a long time, I was stuck on this word genius. And I was like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to call it genius. And then discovered that another church did a whole series on it. And I was like, we're not going to copycat. We're originals. We're hipsters. We're artists. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I started to really seek God and say, what are you really trying to say? Get laser precise. And, and the word is prodigy. And here's why. And if you take a look at that image above my shoulder with my wife and my daughter, I don't know if you can see it, but... The idea of a prodigy is that you are born with an ability outside of what you've even been able to learn. Does that make sense? So it's like you're able to play the piano on a level that surpasses your teaching of the piano and what's been taught to you. It's like you have these abilities that somehow exist a little bit outside of the natural realm. It's like you can read and you can do things at an accelerated rate. And there are people who have these prodigious abilities most of us don't. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 again, verse 12. It says this, so don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and give, get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. 
This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expected, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. So here's God's message to you. As he touches your spirit, he reminds you who you really are. How many of you that while we were in worship, and, and we were singing those songs out, there was a calm and a peace that came over you. And you just felt like, man, there's a feeling coming over me that I didn't feel any other time this week. If you felt that that was the Holy Spirit literally touching your spirit and reminding who you are. Like, you are not made to be wrecked by fear. You are made to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so what Romans says is that he touches your spirit and reminds you who you are. And you have this adventurously expectant life that says, Papa, what's next? But if you were raised in an environment where you had an abusive dad, an abusive stepfather, you're not used to adventure. You're used to tragedy. And so then you come into the church and you're like, man, how am I supposed to expect adventure? Because I expect to be let down. And so the very first that thing that happens when we receive Christ is this spirit of adoption just wraps its arms lovingly around us and God whispers into our ears, you no longer are your own, but child, you are mine. And begins to eradicate that orphan spirit. And then you live your life out of that place and you're sleeping on a floor in Flushing, Queens and you wake up and you say, what's next today, Papa? We're on an adventure. We've got something to do and I know that you're going to work this out. It's so hard for some of the wives in this room to even be in a healthy marriage because your image of what a husband is is so damaged and broken and your expectations have been so hijacked by all these other men in your life. You can't be adventurously expectant because you're sitting there in terror the entire time. There's some of you in this place that you have messed up so much that you were like, man, if I walk into the doors of a church, I'm gonna burst into flames spontaneously. So thank God they meet in a movie theater because I have a better chance there. And you feel the weight and the burden of all the guilt and the shame and the things that you've done in your life that you wish you had never done. And you're like, man, how could a God who's so perfect and so loving and so pure love someone so dirty and filthy like me? And you live with that weight every single day. And it's this invisible barrier between you and people. And you're like, I want to get close, but I can't get through this barrier of sin and filth and shame in my life. And you know, it's crazy. Like I was reading and just kind of studying for this message. And I discovered that in California in 1981, the state actually ran this, this statewide alert. And it was basically, there is a car that was stolen, it was hijacked, and we have to find that car. And everyone's just like, this kind of stuff happens all day. Like, what's the difference? Like, why is the entire state looking for this car right now? Well, do you know what it was? There was actually, the guy who owned the car had actually made these crackers that were riddled with poison, with rat poison. And he had him sitting in the seat and he called the police. He said, my car was stolen. But what's worse is that in the passenger seat is a package of crackers that will literally kill this person if they eat it. And so the entire state started saying, if you stole this car, be warned. And you know what happens is a lot of times we think that we're running away from the punishment, but we're actually running away from the rescue. And the same thing is true with God and the gospel is we think that we're running away from God because we don't want to face the punishment. But he's running after saying, I'm trying to save your life. 
I want to rescue you from this situation you're in. And so when you get that inside your spirit this morning, you'll say all those alarms that are going off, people on Facebook invite me to this crazy V1 church. What is V1 anyways, right? It's weird. I was raised Catholic. And so you show up to this place and you're like, what was this message that was being transmitted the entire time? It's this. I haven't come to punish you. I came to rescue you. And religion has taught most of Long Island that God is always mad at you. But can I tell you this? God is not in love with the future version of you. Can I say that again? God is not in love with the future version of you. He's in love with you right now just the way you are, not as you ought to be. Because newsflash, you will never be as you ought to be. Not on this side of life. And so what I want to do is make some room in this service to tell you about the love of God. You know, what if I told you that Jesus actually showed up to abolish religion instead of create a new one? You know, listen, religion says do, and Jesus said, no, it's done. And that's the message of the cross. Religion says you're just a slave. Jesus says, no, 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 you're a son. And that's what he wants you to receive today. Religion is man searching for God. But Jesus said, no, no, no. God stepped out of heaven, took on a flesh body, and came running after you. And so many people are like, but I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. I don't go to church because all they do is beat me up and make me feel bad. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus showed up to say, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Not beat you over the head for not understanding scripture. Matter of fact, all the disciples were dudes he recruited who flunked out of rabbinical studies. And he said, I'm going to use the flunkies to change the world and prove that I'm not here to have you memorize something. I'm here to engraft something into your mind and seal your heart with my word. And there's a way that that can be done. I've got to go to the cross to do it. And you, therefore, will now be a prodigy. And so if you're in this place and you just feel like, man, I can't do it. I can't do it, God. I've got these limitations. I want to remind you about the thief who hung on the cross. Jesus was actually crucified. He was murdered. You know, there were thousands of people who were executed that way in Rome. You know, this was like a thing that they did. The significance, though, is that he was fulfilling prophecy. Now, for those of you, I'm telling you, you have to come back next week. Next week, I'm actually going to prove the historical existence of Jesus Christ. I'm going to prove the fact that he was resurrected. And so I want you to bring all the doubters, all the naysayers. I want you to bring every friend, every skeptic, because we're going there for Easter Sunday. I'm taking off the gloves, and we're going all the way. But you know, he was executed, Jesus, between two people who really messed up, and, and they had this kind of dialogue that was going on with him on the cross and I think about the guy who was saved. There was this man who basically looked at the other guy and said, man, why are you messing with, with Jesus, the Messiah? I mean, it's like we deserve what we're getting, but he doesn't deserve this. And Jesus looks over him, and, and all of a sudden the man says, Jesus, today can I be with you in paradise? Like, can I, I just, you know, can you remember me when you're there? Like, can you just, some, he's trying to articulate, like, like, I acknowledge who you truly are but I'm also acknowledging what I really am. And I'm a thief hanging on the cross. And Jesus looks over at him and says, today, before this is all over, you'll be in paradise with me.
And I think that's such a beautiful picture. Why? Because this man's hands were literally nailed to a wooden cross. There was nothing he could physically do for Jesus. His feet, he he couldn't even lift a hand for Jesus. His feet were nailed to this cross. He couldn't go and run errands for Jesus, yet Jesus offered him eternity with him in paradise. And we've been so convinced that our relationship with God is based on how much we do that we choose not to have a relationship with God. And when I was praying, like, God, how do I just destroy this spirit of religion that's robbing people of the intimacy of knowing you? He said, remind them of the thief on the cross who could do nothing for me. But there was something here. There was something here. And man, I wish I could tell you that if you come into Loden at seven o'clock that you're gonna get some bonus points and, and God will maybe let some stuff slide and you get into heaven and that you can just give a big enough check during offering and, and things will work out that way for you. But I'm telling you, Jesus already paid the price. So why are you trying to pay it? And that's all we can do is receive it because if you pay the price, it no longer becomes a gift, it's a reward. Like, and I know some of us have that so messed up because we go to work and we like thank our bosses for giving us our paycheck. Like you didn't earn it. Maybe some of you didn't. That's why you thank them. You're like, I was on my cell phone the whole time. That is, or that is a gift. (laughs) But if you earn it, it's no longer a gift. It's a reward. And the Bible repeatedly says that he came to give us the gift of life, the free gift And what does that mean? And I want to read this together. This is Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43. It says, one of the criminals hanging alongside of him cursed him. Some uh, some Messiah you are, save yourself, save us. But the other one made him shut up. You have no fear of God. You're getting the same as him, but we deserve this, not him. He has done nothing to deserve this. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter into the, your kingdom. And he said, don't worry, I will. Today, you will join me in paradise. You know, I just want to close out on this story. Okay, I'm just going to admit, can I, can I confess my sins before you guys? When we moved here, I had the box truck, and I got a ticket in New Jersey. And when I got that ticket in New Jersey, I'm like, man, here we go. And, and it was like, I literally had to go to court for it. And because it was like a commercial box truck or whatever. So last week we have creative team nights on Wednesday. And, you know, your pastor was dressed up going to court. And, you know, in New Jersey, this is like super congested, a huge courtroom. And they're, they're literally packing us all in like one after another. And they're like, we have to fill every seat. This place is going to be filled. And this is evening court. We're going to be here all night. So I'm sitting there like, oh, here we go, Lord. Like, man, whatever. You know, it's like I'm in this situation. But again, I'm, I'm keeping my ears open for a divine appointment. And all of a sudden, they say, hey, if you're in the back row because it's a first come, first serve, we want you to come speak to the prosecutor. So now I'm thinking, great, they're going to arrest me. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not a lawyer. So I'm like, okay, we're getting special treatment. It's never good. You know, it's never good in a courtroom. So I go back to the prosecutor and he's like, oh, you had a taillight out. Did you get it fixed? Oh, yeah, I have the receipts here. I have everything. It's registered, plated. It's all legal. Here it is. So he goes and he writes this letter D on this slip and hands it to me. I'm like, what's that? He's like, it's D for dismissed. I'm like, well, what do I do now? He's like, you have to go through the whole process, but when you get up in front of the judge, he's going to ask you, do you plead guilty to this plea agreement? And you say, yes, I plead guilty. 
and it will be dismissed. And as I walked out of there, the Holy Spirit sort of tapped me on the shoulder and he said, I just gave you the close to your sermon this Sunday. Because I had been just trying to communicate like, how do I tell a group of people who feel so beat up by life and and just so limited and feel like they can't do anything in their own strength and they've watched people die around them and felt like they could do more and they've watched their job deteriorate around them and felt like they could do more and they watched their marriage deteriorate around them and thought they could do more and just continually feel limited and and I'm coming in and I'm going to preach a message called Prodigy. And they're going, yeah, 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 that, that just sounds so good, but that works for you, Mike, because maybe you are a little bit more gifted than me. But you know what? I'm sort of an idiot because all I've ever done is mess it up. But I wouldn't start this church and launch on weekly services any other way than communicating the gospel first because everything hinges on the gospel. Is it a gift or is it a reward? Can you earn it or can you only receive it? Because the Bible tells me that once I receive Once I receive it, then all of a sudden, I have abilities outside the natural abilities, and I tap into the supernatural. And here's how it works. Let me read Romans chapter 8, how it closes. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. And so here's what it's all hinging on. If I would have walked up in front of that judge with that plea agreement and he said, do you plead guilty? And said, no, I'm a good person. I'm innocent. It would have threw that, that, that dismissal out and I would have had to stand trial for that taillight and I would have been found guilty because I was guilty and I would have received the fullness of that punishment. But instead, all I had to do because the prosecutor told me you get the D for dismissed is just say, yes, I'm guilty. So here's what I'm here to tell you this morning is that Jesus as the prosecutor in your life has got you in the back room right now and he's writing on a slip, D for dismissed. Every mess up you've ever made, every time you've ever screwed up, every relationship that you ever failed, every job that you've lost, every time you open your phone to look at porn, every woman that you talk to out of the bounds of marriage, he's saying, I'm willing to give you D for dismissed and wipe it all away, but when you stand before the judge of God, all you've gotta do is say, yes, I'm guilty. And then when I looked at the man who was hanging on the cross next to Jesus, it totally made sense that he did only one thing and it was the right thing. He acknowledged that what he got is what he deserved and he acknowledged that Jesus is who he says he is. And so if you're in this place, all you've got to do is say, yes, I'm guilty, but the one who is guiltless is here and I acknowledge who he is and I receive what he has for me. And then the D for dismiss, D for dismiss, D for dismiss will start being spoken over every area of your life and you will walk out without penalty and you will walk out free today and that's what will change your life. It's not what you can do for yourself. It's not in your own abilities, but it's in the prosecutor. He's the only one who had the authority to say dismiss, dismiss, dismiss.
Thank you for listening. Your experience doesn't have to end with this message. Visit us online at v1.church and send us a message. If you would like to help V1 reach New York and beyond, download the V1 Church app for iPhone and Android and click Give. Join us this Sunday for our weekend celebration. Directions and info can be found on our website.